Thanks everybody for listening. Before we start today's podcast, let me tell you about Peterson Toyota, a great new sponsor over the last few months. They've been serving customers in the Fort Collins and surrounding areas for 52 years. They've mastered what knowing people want from a car dealership and have built their business around it. Peterson is Northern Colorado's largest automotive dealership, and yet they care for each and every customer for the lifetime of their vehicle needs. You can expect high-quality vehicles at the right price. If you are in the market for a new or used vehicle, make Peterson Toyota your first choice. Welcome to Ram Nation Radio. I am Joel Canalmesa, joined by Mike Rowe. This segment is brought to you by Mighty River Brewing Company. Mighty River has more than a dozen fresh beers on tap, including the hugely popular Chili River. It's a uh, strawberry jalapeno ale. They now have approval to allow more people indoors for indoor dining and eat uh, drinking. They've got a great setup for both indoor and outdoor. That For those of you wanting fresh air, their patio gets tons of sunshine. They also have plenty of heaters. They got amazing beers, as you know, but they also have different food trucks visiting regularly. And of course, Pizza Vino is right next door. So you can stop in, pick up four packs to go, as well as growlers and crowlers. Owner Dan Miller is a big time Ram fan, Ram Nation supporter. He does a fantastic job there at Mighty River. You're going to love it. Go enjoy some beers that will quickly become your favorites while also supporting our great favorite sponsor. As always, show RamNation.com on your phone and get $1 off your beers. That's Mighty River Brewing Company in Windsor. So, uh, Mike and I are joined today, a special guest, former CSU quarterback and longtime coach, including head coach Steve Fairchild. Just a little background on him. He was quarterback for Colorado State from 1978 to 1980. He was a full-time starter in 1980, his senior year, after starting his collegiate career at San Diego Mesa Community College, where he was an All-American. That's also where he got his coaching career starts. Um, offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, wide receiver coach, then got his first D1 coaching job at San Diego State, where he had two different stints, as well as a couple years at New Mexico, before he was hired by Sonny Lubick as the quarterback's coach, ultimately evolved into the offensive coordinator for some of CSU's greatest teams ever. Um, so he went to the NFL, and then uh, CSU brought him back after the Sonny Lubick era, uh, and Steve came back to his alma mater in 2008. So lots to talk about. Really excited to have you, Coach. Certainly want to get into all that, but first of all, just want to check in, see how you're doing, what you're up to lately. I get to keep up with you a little bit on Facebook. You know, I see you conducting workouts with some of the top quarterbacks in the area uh, through your fair, Fairchild quarterback training. Just tell us how you got started in that, who you're training, how many people you're training, anybody that we would know and need to keep an eye out for. <laughs> Good to have you. Yeah, it's great. Thanks for thanks for asking me to come on. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, always appreciated you guys as, as uh, real sincere Ram fans through the years. So, uh, yeah, again, thanks. Thanks for having me on. I, I uh, you know, you went through a lot of my coaching background there, but I coached for 34 years and uh, a lot of it in, in college and some in the NFL. And um, I guess like anybody, it, after 34 years of the same thing, I kind of uh, decided maybe a little change would be good. And my wife and I moved back to Denver. We've got a couple uh, daughters that live here in the Denver area and uh, kind of just take a new direction in life. And, uh, you know, I've gotten into a little bit of the quarterback training thing like you brought up and I uh, have quite a few clients throughout the state of Colorado. Do a little bit of that nationally as well. Get around. To, in fact, I just came back from California uh, doing some of that stuff. So, um it's been a it's been a way to maybe not put in a 14 hour coaching day, but kind of keep your hand in football and coach kids and have a positive impact. So I've re really enjoyed that. And, 
life's good. You know, I'm like everybody else. We're, you know, trying to get through this COVID uh, year, but it looks like we're, uh, you know, looks like there's light at the end of the tunnel and good things are going to happen for everybody. We could all hope that because uh, it's been a long haul. Uh, it's it's interesting to see some of your pictures here in Parker. Mike and I are right around the corner from you, right? We both live right down the street from Challenger, and it sounds like you are out towards Aurora Reservoir. So it's nice that you're in the area. I'm surprised we've never run into you, but I'm going to have to keep an eye out for you over at the fields and, and pop in and uh, and watch for a little bit. Looks like you still got still got the arm. <laughs> that I do not, <laughs> but I, I can coach it and I am there quite a bit. And I try to get up to North Denver and out to the West side and uh, kind of have some fields at some of the high school coaches around town that uh, I've known through the years have, have helped me uh, kind of use when they're available. And uh, again, it's, it's a, it's really fun still to, to have an impact on kids and be able to coach them. You know, for, I, I, I was talking to my wife the other day for 28 years, of the 34 that I was a coach, I was a coordinator or a head coach. And, and as a coordinator, uh, calling the plays, you're in charge of a lot of, a lot of things. And, and I think one of the things that can slip away a little bit is just your individual technique and your, and your concentration on your position. And it's, and it's really why we all get into coaching. So, uh, you know, as, as my career winded down, it, it's a way kind of to get back and do a lot of individual, uh, periods and training with kids and you forget how much you love that part of the game any athletes that uh that we would know that you work with regularly or have worked with uh you know I've worked with quite a few and, and I and I do I work with uh you know youth football all the way up uh I've got some NFL clients uh that I work with and um you know it's it's a wide variety I'll, I'll give you an example there's a couple of years ago uh, in the summer, it was probably two, three years ago in the summer, my nine o'clock uh, session was a, was a, a nine-year-old girl named Malia that wanted her dad wanted her to play youth football in Denver. So we, we trained her for a little bit. Uh, and then the very next session uh, was Paxton Lynch and about three or four Denver Broncos came out and caught the ball. So it is a wide, it's a wide array of, of kids and, and you really the younger ones and the ones going into high school are the ones you can hope help the most because again it's it's a little bit like golf swing if you're if you're not gripping the ball right you're not rotating your wrist right and setting your platform and, and target lines the way you should then uh, you're going to struggle and if you learn some real uh, easy but basic fundamentals uh, as you start out on your playing career it can really help you and then I also saw you are a uh, coach in the spring league the professional football development league um how did you get involved there? Tell us a little bit about how that works and what you do there. Yeah, you know, it, it just by chance, a, a guy named Brian Woods is the CEO of the Spring League. And, and about four or five years ago, he called me and asked me if I would get involved. And, uh, you know, it started out as a, a kind of like a, a spring ball for for guys that had, had been in NFL camps but not made it and they weren't under contract. It was kind of like those just-missed guys uh, – and so we started doing events, uh, you know, over the last three, four or five years. Uh, they're trying to get it to become kind of a spring league like the XFL. And I'm not sure exactly where it's headed and, and all that. But I've had a lot of fun. I've gone down there and coached running backs. I've gone down there and been a head coach for their teams. Uh, you know, this past uh, October and November, we were down actually televised by Fox Sports 1 and had some games in the Alamo Dome and uh, coach some guys like JT Barrett and, and some really some talented young guys. So, 
uh, it's a way to keep your hand in it, but uh, without being without it being a, a total commitment year round. So I, I, I do enjoy doing that. And, and it's it's been a lot of fun. And you, you'll continue that next year? Yeah, I will. When the timing's right, I haven't made every event, but when the timing's right, uh, you know, I certainly do it. And I've got a good relationship with Brian. So, uh, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll probably continue it uh, here and there being involved with that league. And you coach the alphas. Uh, is they, are they based somewhere or where do you, like, where do you guys practice? Where is that? Yeah, everybody was based in San Antonio. So we were, okay. uh, we were one of six teams that they uh, had. And, there, and like I said, there are some really, really good players uh, involved guys that we had a receiver. I, I, his, his name slipping my mind right now, but I mean, guys that had played in the NFL were good players and just for whatever reason got cut and uh, weren't under contract. So it, it was, it's a lot of fun. You're coaching some very talented kids. Well, I did see that. Uh, I, I look back at last year's schedule. I did see that FS1 televised some games. So we'll definitely have to keep an eye out going forward here and, and, and check you out on TV. I, I, I have the TVs in the garage, so uh, we can, we could have a watch party. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do or it. we can go to Mighty River Brewing and, and watch them. I like, I like it. <laughs> I like it. So, uh, Coach, going back to your, uh, to your uh, training academy, um, what, what are some of the things you typically work with uh, with your quarterbacks? Well, I, I think, you know, and again, I, I, I try to teach them all the same, whether they're eight years old or, or playing in the NFL. Uh, I think there's, a, like I said, a correct way um, to grip a football, rotate your wrist, rotate your shoulders. Um, it, one of the things I do quite a bit is, is I, I try to, I try to work on what's applicable. And I think a lot of people doing this stuff and they're good. They're, they're very talented. You know, people like Tom house out in California and, and some of those guys, they're, they're teaching perfect throwing mechanics with hips and feet and all that. And, and there's a lot to that, but if you really watch an NFL game or a, a division one college game, uh, you know, throwing is not a, you're not going to get always a hip rotation and feed into the throw. And so there's a way to drill that and get guys to become very good upper body throwers and, and very comfortable with uh, being able to disassociate their lower body from their upper body when they, when they need to do that and, and then be able to come right back and have perfect fundamentals when the situation agrees uh, or warrants for that. So it's, you know, it's hard to go over, but I, you know, I, I try to, I try to get everybody doing the same thing and, and, uh, and it's, it's been a lot of fun. I think it's helped a lot of kids. So coach, you, you go to San Diego Mesa community college after graduating from high school in San Diego, you play two seasons, you become an all American. How did you end up at CSU recruited by Sarkar Slanian? Who, who saw you? How did you, how did you come to Fort Collins? Well, when, when I, you know, and this, and this is dating all of us because this is, you know, 40, 50 years ago. But uh, when I came out of high school, I was not recruited and I and I wasn't ready to give up football. And, and fortunately, I lived in an area that had a, um, you know, the state of California has a, a very extensive community college system. That's that's good educationally and it's and it allows you to continue your athletic career. So I was lucky. I was right at the era where football and, and again, you'd have this. This is before a lot of people's time, but, you know, late seventies, early eighties was Eric Coriel with Dan Fouts and, and those guys, Charlie Joyner. And, and there was a lot of that one back offense that all of a sudden was um, 
not popular was becoming popular. And I hit it at the right time. I got into a situation where, you know, we were throwing the ball all over the field and, and people hadn't caught up to that yet. And, and I, I actually played for Mike Martz, who um, was a head the coach Rams. of St. Yeah. Rams. Very, uh, when you talk about an offensive mind, uh, maybe one of the most brilliant and creative offensive minds I've ever been associated with. And I've, I've, you know, I've worked for North Turner and Kevin Gilbride and some, some great, great offensive minds, but Mike, Mike was special. And, and it was early in his coaching career and I had a chance to play and get involved and have a lot of success that way. So I got, I went from not being recruited out of high school to being somewhat heavily recruited out of junior college. And CSU was one of the, one of the schools that recruited me. And like you said, Sarkar Slaney was the head coach and Charlie Army, who I later uh, hooked up with, with the Rams again, he was like general manager of the Rams when they won the Super Bowl. Uh, but Charlie was the offensive coordinator. And, and the reason I chose CSU, obviously it's a great, you know, I've, I've fell in love with Fort Collins. Like a lot of people do the second you step foot in there and on campus and, you know, it's a great university and great town, but one of the things you do as a junior college player is you, you, you don't have a lot of time left in your career. So you got to find somewhere that has a, a starting quarterback that's graduating, the position's open and you'll have a chance to come in and compete. And, and that's what CSU, uh, you know, when I researched it, that's what I saw. And uh, so committed and, and went and played, you know, I, I redshirted, but I ended up playing a couple of years and starting a year and a half, I believe. And, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. I get to realize a dream that, that a lot of people, you know, don't get to. So I, I, I'm very thankful for CSU and Sark and everybody for recruiting me. Were you kind of, were you between uh, Driscoll and Terry Nugent? Yeah, uh, Terry's a good friend of mine. I, I I see Terry all the time. Terry was right behind me. Okay. Okay. Terry came in as as I was a senior. Terry came in, and it was lucky there was a little difference. That's why I played because Terry was better than I was, but he was he was young. Uh, Mark Driscoll was a little bit farther in front of me. I I I, I don't know. Uh, Dan Graham, I believe, was the quarterback the, the, that graduated that I came in and, and was okay. in between him. Yeah, so quite quite a long time ago. What what played into that decision to redshirt after your junior year? Well, we it, it, what happened was they they weren't sure I was going to commit, and and there was another uh, quarterback named Keith Lee, and Keith actually Keith was a great athlete, and Keith played in the NFL as a defensive back. Uh, that's how, that's how athletic he was. Uh, but Keith and I kind of came in and, and I started for a while. He started for a while that first year. And, and then eventually they just said, Hey, you know, we don't want to waste you both the next year. One of you is going to redshirt. So that next year, Keith played, I redshirt. And then I ended up playing my senior year. So you, uh, your your senior year, you throw for twenty five hundred yards, fifteen touchdowns. Team actually went six four and one, and it wasn't a program that was used to a lot of winning. Um, I think there was a, a a season a few years before you got there, maybe that it went like nine, nine wins. But um, other than that, it was a lot of uh, five hundred seasons and uh, or 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 losing seasons. And um, I think the year after you graduated, team went winless. And they didn't have a winning record again for another seven years. Um, what, but what, what was it like to play for CSU back then? I mean, we we know what it is now. We know the investment. We see all the facilities. And uh, but what, what was it like back then playing in that environment? Um, 
what was your experience like? Well, very positive. And, and, you know, football is a lot different now. There's a, you know, there's weight rooms and there's training tables and there's year round training. And it wasn't quite uh, that extensive when I was, when I was playing, I mean, we had spring ball and, and we did some training, but um, now it's, you know, now when you look at college athletics now, if, if you, if you talk about the revenue producing sports like football and basketball and women's basketball and whatever, I mean, they're basically professional sports now, you know, you know, I mean, they, they are uh, win at all costs, you know, year round training, uh, year round recruiting. It's, it's just a, it's a little bit of more of a different animal, but, it, but it, you know, I don't want to talk out both sides of my mouth. It's still the same. I mean, it was, you'd, you'd play your games and you'd go play Utah and there'd be, you know, 25,000 people out at Hughes. And it, it was, it was great. I mean, I enjoyed it. And, um, very fond memories of having a chance to, to play my senior year. You know, we actually uh, went into the last game. We'd have gone to the holiday bowl. Had we won the last game, we were playing at BYU. Mm. Uh, and Jim McMahon, I believe, was the quarterback. And, you know, they always had great teams, and, and that was a tough uphill battle. But uh, I will say this, and, and I used to joke with people, if, if you go the, the last game, if you go look, and I don't know if it still holds, but I hold the stadium record at, at BYU, the BYU stadium record for most interceptions in a game. I do five. <laughs> <laughs> so it's in the back of their program. I don't know if anybody's beaten it, but uh, I think I'm still, still hold that record. You should, uh, you're like those, those, those former Miami dolphins that, that pop champagne every time that someone finally loses yeah. a game in, in the NFL. And, uh, you should, you should probably keep in close eye on that and just wait, waiting for somebody to break your record. No, I got, I, got, I think I got that one. So. <laughs> uh, what, what's so, um, as I look at your, you know, your coaching career and I'm looking at, you know, year by year, how in the world, so, so you get your first coaching job at San Diego Mesa where you, where you started your, your playing career, you're two seasons removed from playing at CSU and you are the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks wide receiver coach um, with basically no experience in that first yeah. Of college. Yeah, that was a, uh... You know, and I and I wanted to go that direction. And and most people, um, you know, when they start a coaching career, and they rightfully should do that, they they go the graduate assistant route and kind of learn the ropes and get involved, maybe at a little higher level in college. But uh, you know, I was stubborn, uh, very hard headed, and and just uh, I wanted to coach and call plays, and and they afforded me that opportunity. And and there were some positives and negatives to that, but. Uh, uh, now, don't get me wrong. I mean, that, that was my first job, and and I had to do the laundry. Uh, I I had to, I had a billboard out in front of the back when you had billboards and they weren't digital out in front of the, the university. I had to go every Sunday and change that and put up a new sign. And registration was August twenty third. I had to put that up there. I actually swept the stadiums, stadium uh, bleachers after the game. So um, I you know it was kind of a GA, but it was a chance to really be hands on. And, um, great experience. And, and I'm thankful they allowed me to do that. That's yeah. I mean, that's impressive to, to get that role with that fresh out of college. Um, but then you make your, your, your way to Ferris state and then make your rounds through the whack. You, you had a couple years at San Diego state, um, then New Mexico, 
and then you get brought back to your alma mater uh, hired by by coach Lubick how did that opportunity to come back to CSU transpire is it something that you were seeking out or was it something that uh, they sought you out or how did that come to be you know uh, when Sonny was there uh, as the offensive coordinator with Leon Fuller uh, that was right after my my playing days uh, uh, Dave Lay was the offensive line coach and Dave's a good friend of mine. Dave's from San Diego and Dave's a, another um, really, really good offense football coach. I mean, I'm, I'm a lot better in my, my career is a lot better having worked with Dave. And, uh, and I was with Dave at San Diego state and we had some really good football teams, you know, Marshall Falk and all those guys. And, and uh, Sonny was the defense coordinator at the university of Miami. We actually played, uh, and it was towards the end of uh, that year. And, and it was kind of, you kind of heard through the grapevines that Sonny was going to have a chance to go to Colorado State. And Dave, I knew Dave would go with him. And I kind of told Dave, that, you know, hey, if you go, I, I, you know, I graduated from there. I wouldn't mind doing that as well. So um, it just kind of transpired. Sonny got the job. That was obviously a great hire for Colorado State. And and then he put together a pretty good staff with Dave and, and some guys that, uh were a lot of fun to work with and we had a lot of success and it was, it was a good run, really good run there. Yeah. I mean, you, you came aboard really for what were the glory years of CSU football and, and still are um, five conference championships in the eight years that you were there. Right. What made those teams what they were? I mean, Sonny was a special human being put together a great staff. Yeah, actually he obviously had great players, but you know, looking back, you didn't have everything you needed from, you know, facility standpoint, finances, stadium, you know, all that. But somehow you look back and th those teams were as good as they as good as they come for CSU football. Yeah. And, and a lot of things have to have to go right. And, and obviously it starts with Sonny, um, you know, as special as a person as you'd ever want to be around, not, you know, off the football field, let alone uh, working for him and, and, and being able to learn from him as a coach. So I think it started with Sonny and, and, and he, he put together a really, really good staff. I mean, you're talking about guys like Urban Meyer and Larry Kerr and, you know, Dave Lay. And I mean, there were, there were some real, uh, John Scladani was as good a coach as, as you'd ever want. So he, he, he really, and I'm missing some people there. And, and through the years we had guys like John Benton, who's a, and Dan Hammerschmidt and all those guys. So it was, it was a great group of people and, and you know, I, I, we had enough back then, you know, they, they hadn't gotten into the arms race. Uh, you know, when you look at the early nineties, TCU, uh, Utah, none of those, none of those places were outclassing you necessarily. And, and uh, you know, and I, I was always one, you know, and it's just something I'm getting off subject here a little bit, but I never felt like Hughes was that bad a setting. Yeah. Uh, I, re I remember when I, uh, one of my last years as the head coach there, we played the Boise. Boy, they had a good team. And and um, Coach Peterson came in, walked out on the field, and I walked over and said hi. He said, this is the greatest setting he had seen in college football. And, and the, the problem with Hughes is they just didn't keep it up. Yeah. You know, but right against the mountains there, and, they, you know, if they'd have done some landscaping and paved the parking lot and, you know, done the right thing there, that I don't think that hurt us, I guess, is the point. Uh at that point in the, in Sonny's career, that was that was certainly not uh, anything that hurt us by any any stretch of the imagination. But we did recruit. We had some really good teams and uh, were able to finish in the top twenty a number of times. And 
Uh, you know, I look back, you know, we were playing Michigan and some of those teams in the Holiday Bowl, and it was just a great time for CSU football. Well, you're, you're, I mean, you're a coach. It's like whatever we have, let's let's go to work and, and get the job done, regardless of facilities, whatever. But um, it, when you look back and you see uh, – your probably eyes have been opened the way that, that all of us fans have been. I mean, the, CSU has invested in athletics like they never have before uh, with, with facilities. Uh, the stadium, obviously, is a gem. Um, weight rooms, uh, coaches' salaries, um, everything else that they need, all the training facilities and training table, all that stuff. It, had, had CSU invested the way that they are now – the way that Utah and TCU did back then, where do you, could the, could the program, where do you think the program could have been? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the, that's the, you know, the magic question is, you know, when Utah, TCU and BYU were legitimately uh, saying now, now this thing's taken off. And if, and if we want to keep pace, we've got to, we've got to keep pace and, and spend the money and, and resource the program and, you know, and resource in a lot of ways isn't just money, it's manpower. Uh, there, there's a lot of things that go into college football now if you want to even just give yourself a chance. And, and that's what I, you know, I had left and gone to the NFL, but I, you know, I, from afar and, and just knowing the people and talking to people that, uh, you know, they just didn't keep pace. And, and, you know, when I came back, it was very obvious that uh, there was a lot of work that needed to be done, a lot of uh, changes that needed to be made, just the way they were operating to have any chance to catch those those programs at that point. How would you have liked a $1.8 million base salary? Well, I wouldn't have turned it down. That's, that's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're, you know, it's, it's funny when we first got in, when I first got into this profession, you know, I mean, I, I, head coaches weren't even making a hundred thousand dollars. And, and now, you know, if you're an assistant at a power five school, I mean, you're, you're easily three or four times that. So right. uh, it's, it's, it's changed a lot, but it's also, you know, when I first got into the profession, you, you took a job and, and I remember my wife asking me, she says, cause we, we had some really good teams at San Diego state when I went and joined Sonny on, on his staff and, she said, you know, San Diego State's a better job. Why aren't you staying here? And I said, well, you know, I got a good feeling about this. And it's, you know, it's obviously a great place to live. Let's go do it. And, and our big thing was back then, if, if it doesn't work out, we'll be there four or five years and, and then move on. But nowadays, uh, you know, now the coaching profession, you get fired after a year. So yeah. you're paying more, but it's a little more of a brutal uh, landscape, I guess, for, for guys getting into it. Right. So – Kind of going off of, of those last couple of questions and comments. So you played in the seventies and then coached in the uh, assistant coach in the nineties and then was head coach, you know, from 08 to, to 12. What was that, the transition in CSU's program like, or what, how did, how did you see it in three, I mean, three different decades and, and in three different roles and, and along with the campus and Fort Collins in general? Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, you don't think much of it as a, as a student athlete. You don't, you're not analyzing the program and and looking at CSU and then looking at, at, at Utah and saying, you know, what what's the what's the difference here? But you know, I looking back, you know, it was a great university. Uh, but you know, when I went to school there, you know, there's seventy five thousand people in Fort Collins. You know, it was a different town and 
boy, you could tell in the summer when, when school was out that, uh, you know, school was out, the town was felt empty, you know, so coming back in the nineties, you know, CSU was starting to, you know, build things on campus. Uh, we were getting our athletic programs going pretty good there. Um, you know, and not just, not just in football, you know, you had Becky Hammond and, you know, the, the other people that were uh, remarkable doing some remarkable things. The athletic department had kind of a, a nice momentum there in the nineties in that, that uh, unfortunately didn't get capitalized on like, like probably, uh, you know, could have or, or uh, maybe some other universities did. Uh, but the city was growing, still a great place to live. The university was having a lot of success. Then I left, you know, at that point, uh, I had a chance to go to the NFL. And I, you know, was, like we all do growing up playing little league football, you know, I always wanted to play in the NFL and, you know, it was never good enough. But I, you can bet if I had a chance to coach there, you know, you're talking about the elite athletes in the world and the elite coaches in the world at that level I mean there's there, there's nothing there's nothing like it and you can say what you want about the the game tonight Alabama Ohio State and, and I think it's as exciting a thing as there is but when you get in an NFL situation NFL playoff game that I'm telling you it's it's just different so I when I had a chance to go be involved with those that level I was going to do it and and you know, probably, you know, when you look at my career, you know, going back and forth from, you know, I did it twice. I went, I went from college to the NFL, went back as the head coach, of Colorado state, then went back to the NFL and then, then went back to college. And, you know, they're not, they're not as alike as you think uh, there's, you know, recruiting as, as opposed to salary cap and uh, drafting and free agency and, and how you assemble your roster is quite a bit different. The, the calendar is quite a bit different and, um, uh, you know, and, and sometimes I think I got caught in between there, maybe not doing as good a job as if I just stayed in one, one arena. But I'm, I'm fortunate to have the opportunity. I got to be a head coach. I got to coach in the NFL. I got to do a lot of things that were that were exciting. So I, you know, uh, but to answer your question, we were when I got back to CSU as a head coach. There, we 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 needed to make up some ground. We we really did. And, I, and sometimes I look, you know, I got fired, and I should have got fired. I didn't win enough games, and and like I was alluding to earlier. Uh, you know, college football has turned into professional football and, and it's a bottom line business. Nobody wants to hear, uh, you know, why you didn't win or what you're lacking or what you need. They just want to, you know, the students, the, the administration, the, the alumni, the, the people that give money, they, they want wins, you know, and they want success. And if they can't have it, you know, they have every right to make a change and, and go a different direction. And, and so I understand what happened to me, but there was, some ground that needed to be made up. And, and if anything, sometimes I feel like I maybe, uh, you know, I spoke a little bit loud at times, but I, I, I kind of within the halls of the athletic department and even, even in the administration made it known that we weren't, you know, we needed to, you know, do some things a little bit differently. And uh, so hopefully that, you know, maybe that was a stepping stone in some ways. We had that. I mean, I had many candid conversations with Sonny and he said the same thing. I saw some sides of him where he spoke candidly and off the record where he, you know, he, he was frustrated and. As he should have been, you know, you talk about uh, maybe arguably the greatest figure in the school, the history of the school's athletic department, uh, a guy that represented the school better than anybody could have ever dreamed. And, and just a little more support 
you know, and, and I was there as an assistant and I saw where things were headed before I left. And, um, you know, just a little more help might've, might've really, really changed the, the direction of the university and where it is now uh, with reference to, you know, power five football in, in the, in the college, college athletics. So. Well, him getting let go obviously led to your opportunity there. Uh, but I mean, deep down, were you surprised? I mean, I think we all kind of were. And, and granted, you, you look at his body of work and you look back now and then put things in perspective. You're like, what in the world was CSU thinking ever letting this guy go? He should have been able to name his retirement date, you know, but, um, you know, things had gone south for a number of years. And, and I remember having candid conversations with Paul Kowalczyk and was concerned with the recruiting classes and whatnot and in the assistant staff, you know, just wasn't what it used to be. And, uh, but were, I mean, were you surprised in that whole process that that job opened up like it did where, where a guy like Sonny Lubick could be fired? Um, I'll, I'll say this. I was, I was extremely surprised uh, knowing Sonny, knowing Colorado state, knowing the situation that they had put him in. Um, uh, you, you know, I, 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 I just, I'm like everybody else. I, you know, Hey, you're not, you're not getting anybody better, you know? So, um, uh, let's look at some other areas where we can make some changes and, and maybe help the program. But on the other token, you know, and this is, this is going to sound cynical, but, you know, it is a brutal business and, and, and I'm not saying anything about Sonny's situation, but, uh, you know, when you get into this business, sometimes nothing surprises you. And, and when you look at the, there's people like you and I having this conversation about Joe Paterno or Bobby Bowden or, uh, you know, the guy at Virginia Tech or wh whatever, you know, I mean, there's a lot of legendary guys that, you know, it just for whatever reason doesn't quite end at the, at the end of the career doesn't end the way it, it should, but, uh, yeah, I was surprised, and and I, you know, at first I didn't even think about uh, talking to anybody about the job, and they, they reached out to me, and you know, I was at that age of, you know, I was getting to be 50, 51 years old, and I had never been a head coach before, and you know, you start to, it's a young man's game, you start to get much older than that, it's it gets hard to get an opportunity uh, like a job like Colorado State, so you know, I felt like at the at the end of the day, it was something that I needed to do. I, I'm a lot. Uh, or I shouldn't say a lot uh, better a coach for having done that, but it, it, it was, it was a great experience to go do, even with uh, at times a lack of success. It was, um, it was a positive thing to go through. So after seven seasons in the NFL, and you mentioned coaching on, with, with Mike Martz and who's architect of the greatest show on turf and your alma mater comes calling as the replacement for Sonny Lubick, but just knowing that and what you just said, were you, gung-ho about the opportunity uh, from the get-go to, to, to potentially coach at Colorado State or were you apprehensive at all to to follow a legend you know there's a there's a saying that says don't don't be the man to follow the man follow the man who followed the man you know just because yeah. there's there's such high that's, expectations in in that but that's what my wife Nancy said don't don't ever follow Sonny you know to be the next guy you know? right <laughs> but again you know it, it, Again, uh, with my age and, and where I was, I, you know, you don't know if you're ever going to have that opportunity. And and then once, to, you know, I, any coach, once you pull the trigger on something like that, you're gung-ho. You're, you know, you get a chance to hire a staff and, uh, 
you know, get a chance right. to coach 120 brand new players and, and kind of set the tone a little bit. And so, uh, yeah, I was very excited about it, but there were a lot of work that needed to be done. And then your, your tenure, I mean, it really did get off to a solid start. I mean, you, you, uh, you were seven and six your first year and there, and there were a couple tough losses in there could have gone the other way. I mean, you lost, uh, to an 11 and two TCU team in a defensive slugfest. Um, I think you lost 13 to six or 13 to seven. Um, and then you lost a heartbreaker at home to BYU. And I think, was that the Gartrell Johnson, Joey Porter chess yeah. game? Yeah, that, that was, that was something. And, and that could have uh, gone a different way. And that, that was one. Oh, of we had to, we had to lead real late in the game and yeah, and, uh, just couldn't hold on. Right. That one. But uh, no, so, we're a good football team. And, and, you know, when you looked at the roster, uh, and I and I told uh, Paul Kowalczyk this, and I, I might even said it something to Dr. Frank, but you know the roster was set up to where you you had that that was going to be the best team initially, and the one after it had a chance, uh, but then there was going to be some down years, and and you knew that, and and we got to, you know, we I, to credit my staff, we 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 did get to work recruiting, we did uh, we did upgrade the roster as we got going there, and got into a couple of lean years there. We, we were able to still, uh, you know, had quite a few, you know, draft picks guys that ended up in NFL camps. So, uh, you know, I believe we're headed in the right way. I, I, I know why I got fired and I should have been fired, but uh, I do know we were, we were going in the right direction. My fourth year, I actually thought we had a decent team, but we just, we were decimated with injuries. And, uh, and then at that point, football's a funny thing. You know, if you, you know, it is momentum sport. And if you, you know, you, you think you're going to have a good year and you're not, then uh, sometimes you start to lose a little confidence, both as players and coaches. And uh, we just didn't finish out that year the way we, we probably were capable of and should have. Well, what, what was interesting was, I mean, like, like we were talking about your, your, your first year, you had that, it was a solid year. You had a couple tough losses, but you finished the season winning three in a row, including you, you won the bronze boot you got a bowl win over Fresno State. That was the year that uh, was at Gartrell that went off. Right. And then, um, and the table was sure, just seemed like you set the table for 2009. And you go to Boulder and you open the season with a win and you really dominated them. I mean, you dominated the, the score at the end of the game was closer than it was. But I remember rushing the field, by the way, and I, I, first person I turn yeah. around and, and you're right there. And I give you a hug uh, right before I ripped up, right before I ripped up a chunk of their end zone turf as a souvenir. But um, so yeah, and before I go on with that question, but uh, do you look back as fondly as that game is, is, as I do. And we all do as Ram fans, especially on the road to beat those guys. Yeah. And, and the reason was there was already some rumblings uh, about not playing the game, uh, you know, right when I took the job and, and certainly not playing it in Denver, which I thought was a great setting. You know, you go back to some of those uh, games when we were winning with Sonny and, uh, you know, the tear gas game uh, where we beat them pretty soundly. I believe that was 99. Then Matt Newton threw a late touchdown. We beat him in 2000. And, and it, there was something special about that setting, I thought. It just seemed like there was – you know, right down the middle, 35,000 for both. And, and it, you know, and, and I, I get moving it to the home games and all that, but I just, I thought the whole attitude of, of maybe not playing the game coming from CU was, uh, I don't know, just didn't have a good vibe. And, and so, yeah, being able to go down there on their, their home turf and, and, and play the, 
play the way we did was was special. Following that win, you you go you you beat Weber State, uh, you beat Nevada. You're three and zero, and you're coming off of a bowl win season, and things are looking good. And you had a just a tough loss to BYU. And then you had a kind of a, you had to go to travel and play at the Kibbe Dome in, in yeah. Moscow, Idaho. And uh, just kind of, I think it was just kind of a, one of those hangover games and lost that in uh, kind of blew a lead, I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. after that, it just, the, just, it was just a, so sudden and drastic the way things went south. It, it was, it wasn't. I mean, there were, there were two or three wins. Uh, there were easily three wins that year that we probably should have won. And, and again, that's, you know, you never want to say anything like that because at the end of the day, you didn't. And, and, you know, like I said, college athletics, the record's a record, but it, it was, it didn't, it didn't turn like you're saying it, it was there that, that could have been a, um, you know, six, seven, win season two. Um, yeah. but it just didn't, you know, it didn't, it didn't go the way we, we had hoped and, and probably because we didn't play well, but, uh, and that's on me, but uh, at the end of the day, it, and then, and then we got into some a little bit of lean year there for a year or two, uh, and, you, and like I said, you knew that was coming. You know, I knew I knew the first two years looking at the roster, we had a chance, and then there's going to be a year or two in there where we we're going to have to reload. But uh, you know, it is what it is. And and I think when when they ultimately fired me, uh, I think there was a good roster there in place, and uh, you know, and I think I, in some ways, enlightened people with the way. Uh, you needed to approach some things like team travel and admissions and, and the whole thing and summer school. And I, you know, I could go down the list of things that, you know, when, you know, needed to be looked at critically to, to try to keep pace with the programs that, that you wanted to keep pace with. And, and I know you've, you're stoic about it and you said, yeah, I, I, I don't blame them for firing me, but it, it was a, I mean, that's not a long, long opportunity to build a program i mean what was part of you like hey i didn't I, i'm not quite i know what we're getting ready to turn the corner like what is what's that thought process go what do you go through when when you're like you know just give me another year well I, obviously when i talk with anybody that 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 was in the position to, to make the decision i you know, i told them what i thought and i told them you know hey when you look at this roster with these people you know there's there's these guys are potential draft picks and uh you know we got a we got a chance here and uh but you know again I don't I don't blame anybody you know you like I said at the end of the day uh it's it's a put up shut up it's a bottom line business and and uh you know sometimes change is good sometimes uh you know you got to go a different direction to spark something when on December 8th of 2012 uh, I was actually with Joel. It was the CU-CSU basketball game. And we noticed that Paul Kowalczyk wasn't. And the rumors were that he, that you two were, were trying to decide. We're in a meeting trying to decide what would happen for the 2013 season. And it turned out that he was fired by Tony Frank and, and Jack Graham was hired. Do you, do you think that you would have stayed on if – PK had stayed on one more, one more year. You know, I, I don't know. And, and you've got, it's a year earlier than that. My last year was 11. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And. Uh, oh, sorry. You're right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah I, I was I, with, I, I ended up going to the chargers in 2012, but um, 
you know, I, I can't answer that in, in, in really it's a, you know, I don't want to answer it because it, you know, it wouldn't have been my decision. And, and again, whatever, you know, whatever the powers to be, whoever is in on that room, that's going to make that decision. They, they got to do what they think's best. And, you know, I'm smart enough to know it's not, you know, I, I don't know best all the time. You know, I mean, it's when, when it's my arena to make a decision, uh, then I'm going to make a decision the best I can. But when, when it's somebody else above you, that's got to do that, uh, you know, that's, that's their, their call. So, uh, you know, I, 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 there's two ways to look at it. I mean, and like I said, it, that you can see very clearly why I was fired. Uh, and then I, I see somewhat that I saw some kind of improvements and in, in things I thought you could build on. Uh, and I did have a five-year deal and they, they only gave me four. And I remember speaking on the front end of that thing that, they, you know, it may take five. I mean, it took, um, I'm trying to think of the guy at Virginia Tech. Took him seven. You know, he'd have never, he didn't, yeah, Frank Beamer would have never made it in today's world. You know, and arguably a Hall of Fame coach and one of the best to ever coach college football. But, uh, you know, sometimes things, every situation is a little different, you know, and, and uh, you know, sometimes things take a little longer. Sometimes you may, and, and obviously we didn't, you know, I didn't make every decision wasn't right. I mean, you know, there were some things I wished I'd have, you know, if I'd have gone back, hey, we should have done this. We should have recruited this guy. We should have, you know, not been in this area so heavy in our recruiting. Uh, you know, I, you know, shifting staff around a little bit. Uh, so, I mean, you know, you always, you know, live and learn. I'd never been a head coach before. So uh, there was some, you know, growing pains on the job. I, I just wanted to do football. And that job's far from just being a football coach. Hey, when you're, when you're coaching the alphas, do you ever, have you ever broken any clipboards? Uh, you know, <laughs> you, you get me started on the clipboard thing with the, with the pass interference calls against TCU. It's, uh, it's like, I can remember that. Uh, but uh, no, my outlook on life's a lot, uh, a lot more casual right now. Well, I, I will never forget. And obviously I was at the, the, the CU game in 2009, but you know, you go back and I record all the games and, I still have a VHS tape for that game. It's one of my favorites to rewatch. But your halftime interview as you're coming off the field, you know, and CSU fans are ecstatic because it was just an amazing first half and you're basically dominating. I mean, you just looked at the, the sideline reporter like, you know what? I'm going to have a real talking to the, the our players. We left a lot of points on the field. And, and it was just – I just love that attention to detail and just like, you know what? Let, we're not letting up in this second half. Yeah, and, and 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 we did, you know. I mean, look back; it was it, it, there were there was a lot of things we could have done better in the first half of that game, and 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 you know, in games like that, even when Sonny was head coach and we won some of those uh, other ones, that, that they're all going to be close, you know. They're they're it's just that way with that game, and um, so you knew going in that uh, you better not even remotely do a sigh of relief at halftime because there's a long way to go in that game. A couple more questions, Coach. I know I know we've had you for a long time here, but um, human human nature would would say, you know, since you gave up on me, it's a little frustrating. I'm done with them. But how, how is your relationship with CSU now? Do you follow them as close as you used to, or, or how how is that? Well, I, you know, I, I I do follow it. I, I try not to to be a you know a factor. Uh, you know, my wife and I go up and walk around camps all the time. We were married at. John the 23rd and 
Um, you know, we still have friends up there, still have friends at, at CSU. So, you know, I don't go to games necessarily. Uh, you know, it's, it's time to, you know, for somebody else, it's their, their time, not mine. But, uh, you know, I, I really was very, very fond of Mike Bobo. And uh, number one, I thought he was a, a, an outstanding coach, but uh, I got to know him a little bit just in casual uh, bumping into each other. And, and he was, first of all, he's a, a very gracious guy and took the time to welcome me and, and show me the, the facilities and all that when I was up there and um, really enjoyed that, that aspect. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm a casual fan now, you know, when I can catch it, I'll catch it. And I, you know, I, I like college football. I like pro football. I like to watch it, but uh, you know, I don't want to work hard and be involved in it anymore. I've done, I've done enough of that. So. Anytime you want to come up as a casual fan and have a couple beers, uh, you come to, to Mike's tailgate. We, we have a good time. Once we're able might, to go back to games again. I might, uh, I might take you up on that. So we're right, right, we're right outside the library. So coach, <laughs> you're definitely, definitely welcome. Uh, so kind of going off of that, um, what you just, you kind of just alluded to it. Um, what do you miss about coaching and, and what do you not miss about it? Uh, you know, I, I don't miss the, the, the 14 hour days all the time. I mean, I, I'm competitive. I can do a little bit of that. The, the college football game, the recruiting's gotten insane. Uh, it's, it's my last year at Virginia. I, you know, we signed whatever in, in February in, in every weekend we had unofficial visits, kids on campus that, I mean, you're just working year round recruiting. So I, I, I don't miss that part of it. Obviously coaching football's you know, in your blood. And, and I've got, I've found a way in my life to uh, continue to do it and, and continue to be involved with guys and the game, but just not quite in the capacity of, of uh, the high profile coaching jobs. And, you know, I was telling Joel earlier that, uh, you know, one of the things that really intrigues me right now is there's an appetite uh, internationally throughout Europe and throughout Mexico and in some other countries for, for, knowledge of how to coach football and, and the ability to, to go over there. And, you know, uh, just in the, right before the COVID, I'd, I'd been to Germany um, and done a camp and a clinic over there. I'd, I'd gone to Mexico city. I actually spent two weeks uh, living in Vienna, my wife and I in Vienna, Austria, coaching the Vienna Vikings. Uh, and then COVID hit and we had something in Finland and we had something in, in Poland kind of, in the works and that didn't come, come around. But when this lifts again, uh, I would like to go all over the world and, and try to coach guys on how to coach quarterbacks and work with young international players and uh, just a way to, to do something different that, that seems exciting to me. And, and kind of while my health is good, I can travel um, really would like to do that. So. And keep growing the game. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, no doubt. A worldwide game now. No, no doubt. And I think eventually you're going to see uh, NFL football full time in in Europe somewhere, and in maybe even Mexico City. So, and you you talked about it a, a bit earlier. The, the biggest difference between coaching in college and and the NFL, or the biggest difference in in the game in general between college and the NFL. Well, the, the, the number one way is the way you uh, assemble your roster. You, you know, it, it, one one time you're recruiting uh, in the college game, you know, ninth and 10th grade kids because at, at the 
good universities, that's who you're recruiting. I mean, they, if you're not on them by the time they're in ninth or 10th grade, you're not, you're not going to be involved in recruiting them. So um, you're doing a lot of research with the, uh, you know, kids at a very young age. And there's a lot of, a lot of projection that goes on to that. You know, the, some of the best linemen we ever had at CSU guys that played in the NFL were, you know, tight end type body types that were good athletes, but 230, 240 coming out of high school. And you just had to look at them and look at their body type and, and say, yes, I believe this guy can be a 320 pounder at some point. So um, that as opposed to, you know, the financial aspects in the, in the NFL where you've got to spend your money wisely. And, you know, do you, you know, everybody thinks, well, why don't they go out and sign a linebacker? But the, when you're in one of those meeting rooms, it's, are we looking for a $2 million linebacker or a $4 million linebacker? You know, what, what's the ramifications on the length of their contract and the, and the salary cap. So, um, you know, just the, the, the main difference is how you get the rosters, but I will say this, it's still football. And, and there's a lot of similarities as well. When, when you have like a, a really talented college player that, that doesn't translate to the NFL, what, what are some of those reasons? I mean, looking at your former quarterback, Dan McGuire at San Diego State, who kind of seemed like he had the, the, all the tools and then it just didn't work for him in, in Seattle. Like what, what, what's, what's kind of the, the reasoning behind that? Well, I think, uh, you know, and, and, and Dan, Dan's an interesting case because he was, he was a dominant uh, college quarterback his, his senior year. Uh, at San Diego State, but uh, when when you speak of quarterbacks, number one, that's a tough gig. Now, there's only they're not keeping three a whole lot; they're yeah. keeping guys on on practice squads. But I mean, there's 32 teams, so there's 64 jobs. So there's 64 guys on the planet that are you know got a chance yeah. at something like that. So that's very very competitive. But uh, a lot of times, I think you know when you when you go to the combine and you, and you you watch guys on tape and you interview them and you, and you decide to put a draft grade on them. This guy's a second rounder or what have you. Uh, you know, there's a lot of measurables and, and a lot of things, uh, you know, tape, the productivity on tapes, obviously a big factor, but the one thing you can't measure is how important it is to a guy. And, and, you know, if, if, if the game of football, I don't care how talented they are, if it's not the most important thing, in their life or one of the most important things in their life. It's, it's hard to keep up that pro football routine and, and the wear and tear that that's going to do to your body. So, and a lot of times guys make a little bit of money in a contract and, and all of a sudden it's not as important to them. And so their longevity isn't as, uh, you know, maybe as long as, as some other guys. And so, uh, but it's a competitive business. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing watching those playoff games this weekend, uh, it's just an amazing sport and, and with a lot of great athletes that are uh, doing amazing things on the football field. Are you surprised, you know, looking at CSU from afar, whatever whatever capacity you, you follow CSU in these days, but we have really been able to get it going over the last decade. You know, there are a couple of good years under Jim McElwain after you left. We talked about that, that you set the table well, but he left after three seasons. Coach Bobo, as much as we all liked him as a human being, just as good as a person he was and some good things that he did over the first few years, he just never really, I mean, you lose 13 out of 15 rivalry games, you go three and nine the last two seasons. With the investment that they were making in athletics, that's a big difference in my mind. Athletic, they're making, the, the investment they're making in athletics and the facilities, 
the salaries. Um, but when you look at it, why can't CSU turn the corner? Well, and again, you know, it's it's more than just money in facilities. It's it's the the people involved and the and the number of people that you resource into spots. It's the way you approach your your just mode of operations. You know, with the way you ask kids to apply to school and get admitted. And I'll give you a great example. And this is probably going to waste everybody's time, but I'll, I'll do it anyway. Cause I, I giggle when I think about it. Uh, you know, my, I, my first second year, I can't remember. We, we went and played BYU and uh, you know, we always met the team about noon on Friday for a Saturday game away game. And we, you know, have a team meeting and get on the bus, whatever. So we got on a bus, we drove to Denver. That took about 90 minutes by the time you get through airport security on the gates back there. Got on a plane, flew an hour to Salt Lake City, got off, took another hour and a half to get down to Provo, you know, because of traffic and getting out of the airport and all that. And so I'm looking at it thinking, you know, it's a four or five hour trip here. And the very next year they played us and they their their airport in Provo is about 15 minutes from campus, 10 minutes from campus. They, they had a one hour flight from Provo to Fort Collins. I mean, their, their total travel time was an hour and 20 minutes. You know, they were, I was laughing with, um, I can't remember who they had Bronco Mendenhall at that point on the, on the sidelines before the game talking about it. And, and so you're always, whenever you're a head coach, especially somebody new like me, you're always saying, well, how many academic uh, support staff do you have? And, and how do you help guys with summer school? And how do you, how do you register this and that? Because it, you know, it, there's, it's a complex, equation and the way you treat your staff and the way you treat the players and, and the way you do things is it matters. And, and it's a very competitive business. And to, to win at that level, it takes a whole lot of people other than a coaching staff to, uh, to be rowing in the right way, pulling in the right direction. And, uh, when you do, when you are fortunate, like Sonny, you know, was, and things are going the right way and you got a good group with you, then a good group of players and you win some games. And, uh, I think it's a place that can do that again, and eventually they're going to. It's going to happen. They're going to get the right group in there and going to have a lot of success. One more, um, and this is answer if you want to. But Mike and I have some lighthearted debate <laughs> about the best quarterback in CSU history, and uh, <laughs> well, and of course you're up there, Coach. But uh, <laughs> I was going to say me. Okay, hold on, hold on Joel. <laughs> I'll end that right now. <laughs> Joel, before, before before you ask that question, so going on this, uh, so before the Cal game in 2008, uh, Darren Wilkinson was talking to uh, some of the alums, and I asked him who had the better arm because Anthony Hill was on staff. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Darren Darren was he's your quarterback coach, I believe. Yes, at the time. And then I was like, who has the better arm between you and Anthony and Coach Fairchild? He said it was him. So I, I just – so in 2008, between the three of you, who had the uh, – who had who still had the, the better uh, arm? Uh, uh, let me just say this. I can throw a farther than Darren right now, and I'm an old man. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, you, 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 let me start on that question because you mentioned Anthony Hill, and, and Anthony was very, very special, and, and he's got to be in the conversation. Uh, you know, just because, you know, playing Michigan in the Holiday Bowl and getting a team to be ranked 14th, like Joel said earlier, there wasn't a lot of that going on when Anthony started his career. Uh, 
you know, so I, I think he's got to be in there. You know, one, I've got a couple of favorites that I, that I coach with and I would put them against anybody just from a toughness standpoint, but Moses Marino, you know, won a lot of games. He was on that 97 team and I'm not sure there are a lot of people that are going to cringe when I say this, but I'm not sure there was a better football team that's gone on there uh, since 97. But when you really look at that roster, but you know, he's a six round draft pick, but uh, Moses could play now. He was, you'd be hard not to have him in the conversation. Matt Newton was a, a real winner. Yep. Uh, you know, Matt Newton was a, you know, how many guys win state championships in high and baseball, basketball, and football. Uh, and know, beat and, CU twice. And yeah. And, you know, here's one thing I'll say about both Moses and, and Matt Newton. They were the, the conference offense player of the year. And that's not an easy, when you get the respect from the other coaches and, in the league, like they did, you know, you got to mention Kelly Stoffer, don't you? I mean, Kelly drafted very high Terry Nugent, you know, Terry's yeah. obviously had a pro career. So, uh, you know, there's been some, been some guys there that have done some, some tremendous things and I'm probably forgetting a handful too. So, so you think 97 is better than 94? Uh, you know, I'm going to make a lot of guys mad. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll stop with what I've already. <laughs> it's funny because I mean, we, we both love, we both love Anthony. We both love, Moses, we both love 94, we both love 97, but we like to to, to jostle each other for, for who who is right and wrong here. I, I'm younger than Joel, and, and I was buddies with Moses in college, so I always tell him, it's it, you know, it's always Moses in the 97 team, and Joel. There was a, I'll tell you what, in, in, in here's, a, here's a way to look at it, and Joel, you, like I said, you'd mentioned it before, in 94, there hadn't been a lot of that going on. Yeah. Uh, it, and so, and and I'll tell you what, the, the those defensive linemen in '94 would would put that team into any conversation. Uh, but that '97 team had a swagger now about it, and uh, they they knew they were good. And uh, it it was uh, I don't know. I was glad to be a part of both of them. Well, Coach, uh, you know we all wanted the storybook ending for you at CSU, retiring as a longtime head coach, multiple conference championships. You certainly set the table for Coach McAway, and that's not lost on us or or any fan. Um, you know, I've got my autographed Steve Fairchild helmet right above my desk here, and, and my uh, autographed Steve Fairchild jersey on my wall over here. Um, but uh, you know, we sure appreciate you. We appreciate uh, your loyalty to CSU, your love for CSU, your time as a player and as a coach. And uh, in you know, spending more than an hour with us today. No, I appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Like I said, I, I think the people that are, are involved in that university really understand what people like you do for the athletic department and, and being loyal fans like you are is, is something special. And uh, no, thanks for having me on. It's great to it kind of brought back some memories. It was, it was cool. Hey, do you, um, I don't know if you remember this, uh, but I used to own the marketing company that did the, the TV commercials for the Mountain West Conference. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but we did the, one of our many TV commercials for the year. We did a sportsmanship, sportsmanship commercial, I think 2009-ish. Uh, but you and Dave Christensen. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. You guys are That's awesome. Funny. I mean, remember uh, yeah. you, 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 you made a fake phone call to him and said, hey, hey, Dave, we love the Blitz on third down. He's like, hey, thanks, Steve. And the voice of the yeah, says, you don't Denver, have to go overboard, but respect the game, respect each other, show sportsmanship and all yeah. that. So you guys were so, you were fun. Yeah, I remember that. That was cool.
That was good. Yeah. Well, uh, say hello to Nancy and uh, thanks so much for all your time, Coach. And uh, good luck to you. And, and hopefully things open up here. And I'm going to be looking for you on FS1. Okay. Have fun, guys. Thank you. Okay. Great chatting with you, Coach. You bet. That is Steve Fairchild. What a great conversation. What a great Ram in many capacities. Mike Rowe and I will wrap this thing up, talk about a few other topics, and then we'll uh, close up for the week. Thanks for joining us. This is Ram Nation Radio. Be back after this. All right. Welcome back to Ram Nation Radio. This segment is sponsored by Ginger and Baker. Thank you all for stopping into Ginger and Baker. I heard from several of you saying you stopped in there to buy some Christmas gifts and pies and gift baskets. Uh, So really appreciate the support. They are actually closing for the month of January to recharge their batteries, do some deep cleaning in the facility, make improvements, and develop a new winter menu for the bakery, cafe, and cash. But uh, if you are in need of a pie, you can still give them a call at 970-223-7437 throughout January. They wish everyone a happy new year, and they hope to see you come back strong in February as uh, hopefully the COVID restrictions start lightening up and they are allowed to have more people indoors. All right, Michael, that was awesome stuff with Coach Fairchild. Looking back, when they let go of Sonny, was Coach Fairchild on your list of candidates that you would have like to have seen hired or at least in the mix? I'm trying to think back. Like when you let go of a guy like Sonny, for me, yes, Coach Fairchild, who has spent a significant amount of time as a coach and a former student athlete at CSU, he was super high on my list. And um, I had a lot of high hopes for him. But what, what when you look back, what do you think of? You know, obviously, and he brought it up multiple times, you know, it was, it was a, a tough situation, you know, and, and it was cool hearing his perspective and how he, he said that he, you know, he told PK kind of up front, you know, we're going to be decent the first couple of years and then we're going to struggle. And honestly, looking back, you look at, at Sonny's last few years, those recruiting classes were, were not loaded <laughs> to put it, to put it kindly. Right. And, and you look at McElwain's first couple of years, you know, he he won with with Steve's players. Yes, he did. Uh, you know, Steve. You know, you know. You look at the uh, the Gilmore's. You know, you look at uh, uh, the center that's at San Francisco. You know, you you, you look at that old line that really got things going for for McElwain, and those were those were uh, Steve's players. And and you just wonder, you know, and that's what kind of what I uh, wanted to ask him if he thought if, if PK would have been there one more year if he would have been there one more year and, you know, and, and I, I have said this, I think that that 2012 season, it would have been better than the four and eight that, that McIlwain had just because the players would have been a little bit more familiar, but then at the same time, you know, you know, Steve said it multiple times, you know, he deserves, you know, you're, you're, you're hired and fired on your, uh, on your coaching record. And he, he wasn't doing that. And, you know, he admitted it and, you know, that's where kind of where we're at. You know, it's interesting when you look at um, this coaching learning curve and how real is it? I mean, the guy, you come in, you have a plan, right? If you're a, if you've been in the coaching business for a while, you come in and you're like, this is what I want to do. I know exactly what I want to do. 
but regardless, they're still, you're on the job and you're learning, you're figuring thing out, figuring out the nuances. And it was interesting to hear coach mention that he's like, look, I was, I didn't have any head coaching experience. I was kind of learning on the job. And so, you know, that, that's, that's interesting in, in the last two coaches for CSU, uh, last three coaches for CSU, um, not including Adazio, but starting with coach Fairchild, he didn't have co head coaching experience. And then McElwain did not have head coaching experience. Bobo didn't have head coaching experience. Um, McElwain actually, because I think his cupboards were not bare and he had something to work with, was able to take and take that and run with it. Uh, coach Bobo, you certainly could see a couple of years there where there were some, some gaffes where you were like, he's, he's learning on the job. That, that was a mistake. That was a bad in-game decision or this was, uh, you know, so th- there's the, I mean, it's real. It, that's the point that I'm trying to make is that it is very real. You know, you've never been in that situation. You know, if you're a, a quarterback's coach or you're an offensive coordinator and that's your role and uh, that's everything you dive into, you don't have to worry about all the peripheral things. Uh, yeah. but, but yeah, if you're, you're not coach, calling the timeouts, you know, you're not, right. you're not the one that's making that decision on defense whenever, whenever you're doing that. So, right. It is a, it is not an easy thing. There are so many things that have to go right for you. You have to, you have to be fortunate. Um, yeah, yeah, I obviously have to be talented and, and good. I think coach Fairchild was an exceptional person and a great person for the job. It just, unfortunately just he didn't have enough time just things didn't work out and you know we talked about this during the interview but they the couple of those seasons could have gone you know his first year could have he could have had at least two more wins uh his second season he said you know we should have had two or three more wins um and you look at that and just how that season unfolded it's just you kind of when in coaching and in college athletics you kind of have to get lucky you have to kind of have to hit the jackpot and have things go your way. And unfortunately for him, it just, it, it wasn't good enough. Like he just ran out of time, but he's not, uh, you know, he obviously had a a great senior year as a player. Um, He, I I fully believe, and I, and I was really happy that he sounded at peace, but I was really happy to, to hear that he felt like, you know, going into coach McElwain and taking over the program, we felt that it was in a good place and there's no question that it was. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, one of the things athletic directors are so tied to football coaches now. And you look in it, and it really is kind of surprising when you say how CSU hired three straight coaches with, with no head coaching experience. And we came up with, you know, Coach Dazio last, last December, December of 19, when so many people wanted Tony Alford. And, and you wonder how much of that, I mean, obviously, I think all of it played into that. We have an athletic department that's that's kind of struggling at this time, and, and a, 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 an extension that looks extremely bad by Joe Parker for for Mike Bobo. And you make that fire, you know, you, you let him go, and, and you have the, the big buyout. And so now you're kind of, well, should we roll the dice on this on this younger coach that doesn't even have coordinating experience, or do we go with with somebody that has experience and, and I mean, we saw what we did with that. Man, if, of all people to follow, you follow the greatest figure in CSU athletic history. Well, I mean, and yeah. your mentor. 
you got fum up there, but yes, your mentor, the guy that gave you the shot, the guy you coached alongside with in your first stint there, you know, it's, uh, it was, it was funny. It was interesting to hear him, you know, that he had that conversation with his wife, Nancy, that, you know, she was like, you don't want to be the one that follows Sonny. You want to be the one that follows the guy that follows Sonny. So, um, Steve Fairchild is one of my favorites. So when you look at his first year and I look back at it and I remember that first year going, God, this was, this was a great hire. We kind of fell into this former, uh, he's an alumni. He's coached here under the best coach that CSU's ever had. This is the perfect hire. And, you know, you, you finish the year seven and six, you beat Fresno state in the bowl game. You had beaten Wyoming. You finished this, the season on a th- three game winning streak. And you, and you, when you look back and you study that season, you're like, man, we should have won a couple other games at least in there. And you should be maybe eight and four instead of seven and six or, or nine and four, whatever. And, um, and then you go on the road. Dominate your hated rival in the season opener the following year. I mean, optimism was as a, at an all-time high. You thought, you know, here we go. This coach has got us going the right direction. This team's playing well. And then it all went south. So that being said, Mike, you know, that quick, drastic downfall in Fairchild's second year, what, uh, you know, and then this thing's not going well thereafter, were you surprised that uh, after that hot start, or it wasn't hot, hot, but it was a pretty good, there were signs that we were on the right, in the right direction, then everything went south. Were you surprised to see his, his demise? Yeah, you know, again, that 2008 season was, was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, my wife was working for the university at the time. And I went to 12 of the 13 games. Uh, the only game I didn't go to was Utah. And you really saw that improvement. I mean, it was, it was kind of a tough uh, non-conference schedule. But you saw that improvement. And, uh, you know, we beat some good teams that year. And, and you just – you kind of was wondering going into 2009 with the quarterback play. We had – I mean, the kid from Ponderosa who I'm completely spacing his Sucker. name. Yeah, Sucker. Yeah, yeah, Grant. And uh, and then John Easton. And you really thought that John Easton was going to come in. You know, he's kind of a highly, uh, highly recruited uh, junior college player. And he just he couldn't take the reins. And and Stucker, who uh, a senior who, who played hard and, and, you know, and went to Boulder and, and BCU. It's kind of a reason when you're a senior and you, you haven't taken over as a starter. And they, they just didn't get that quarterback play in that 09 season and then in, in 2010 going off of, again what coach said there was going to be some lean years just because there just wasn't that upperclassman talent that that you needed to build on and, and it showed and and we had another three and nine season and then the fourth three and nine season or, or that another three and nine season in that fourth year and and he's let go yeah he, he didn't have the prototypical quarterback like you said Stucker was serviceable I mean he did a couple good things I mean that that game he had against CU uh in 2009 was 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 really good I mean he couldn't have been better quite honestly but other than that I mean he was uh he's not on the top of the list of of best quarterbacks in CSU history right uh who was his who was Fairchild's quarterback his in 2008 was it Billy Ferris Billy Ferris Again, even that, even that year, um, I mean, Kubiak played some at the beginning, and then oh, there was three quarterbacks. It was like Ferris and Kubiak, and kind of spacing. But yeah, I mean, it was it was again. It, it seemed like we struggled those those 
Ferris did a great job at, at, at the end, but we didn't have that young quarterback that I think a, a, a program needs to have. I mean, you look at, you look at Anthony who started as, as a sophomore, you know, you look at Moses who started as a sophomore, you look at, at um, EVP. Yeah. Bradley who came in and started as a sophomore. You look at Newton who should have started as a sophomore, yeah, uh, but played every game as, as a junior and senior. And, um, and we didn't have that. And, and Steve didn't have that during those four years. And, and, and it showed and it showed. And, and, he, and he went with Pete Thomas those last couple of years. And, and Pete wasn't ready as a freshman. And there's just a ton of pressure on him, you know, being the, the highly recruited uh, quarterback who chose, who turned down BCS offers to go to, to go to CSU. And, and he just didn't grow into that role. Yeah. Well, it was a it was a fun conversation with Coach Fairchild, and uh, it's fun to kind of dig back into some of those years. And you know, that's kind of the, the forgotten era. I mean, it's the it's the the, the lean years right after Sunny, and uh, it was right before the good run by McElwain, albeit brief. And uh, you know, so it's fun to dig back into into some of those memories. And there was some good ones for sure. I mean, he had some good wins. Uh, you know, beat Houston. Right, he beat yeah. in that first year uh, in route to the bowl game. Who else did we beat? Uh, well, you beat Fresno. Uh, you beat Wyoming in the Border War, and then uh, the, the CU win obviously was the hallmark win. And we'll take that every day of the week. Well, I mean, we beat Cap. We beat Kaepernick in '09 uh, with Nevada. You know, you know, Nevada. Nevada was was getting better and better, and, and that was that three and O that was that three and O start. And yeah, like, I mean, you even mentioned it to him. I mean, the wheels completely fell off the bus after that win. That's a good point. Uh, Nevada was like eight and five that year. And that I remember until that year, I, I just never had taken Nevada seriously. You know, they had just, I think we had beaten them 20 straight times, something like that in our history. And, uh, but yeah, Kaepernick got that, that program turned around and they've been relatively decent ever since but uh yeah so uh, well speaking of opponents kind of exciting news uh this past week with um csu announcing well actually csu didn't announce it it was uh reported that wisconsin is being added to the schedule so let's see that will be in 2026 so we'll get five years to wait but um i like the trend uh people don't give enough credit to this administration. And, and Joe Parker has done a, one of the great things he's done is build schedules, you know, just in the coming years, here's what we got this year. And obviously, you know, what we lost this past year, you had uh, Oregon state uh, Vanderbilt and CU and all those were wiped out. But uh, this year coming to Fort Collins, Vanderbilt, we go to Iowa. I mean, a couple of great, great games there, right? Vanderbilt is a game. You got to win at home. They've been down forever. Uh, and then you get to go experience a game at, at Iowa. What do you think about that? You know, we've uh, already been uh, working on our plans with Iowa. One of my one of my best friends is, is from Iowa and and huge fan uh, of theirs. And so when it, I mean, when that was announced two years ago, we already started started planning it. So yeah, I mean, that's probably going to be one where we take off on Thursday and you know mess around all day on on Friday in Iowa City and get ready for the game, uh, working on tailgate plans and stuff already. So fingers crossed, but even the week before we go to Toledo, which, you know, that was a fun game. We lost, <laughs> but that was a fun game two years ago in, in canvas. And so right outside of Detroit, you know, Detroit's a, a fun city. Um, 
you know, I know the few times that Tracy and I have gone, we've had a great time. Uh, the brewery scene's kind of jumping and easy flight. So might be doing back-to-back roadies uh, in, in come September. Good point about Toledo. I mean, you wouldn't think of that as a marquee road trip, but that 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 would be a fun. And I, I like these places that you get to go to that you normally wouldn't go. And I especially like going to some of these blue blood places like Iowa, where you can see all the tradition and the pageantry and, and hopefully there will be that by this fall. But, yeah. um, and then, you know, the following year, we go to the big house in Michigan and Washington state. So two road trip uh, to power five schools. And then uh, the following year, Washington state comes back here. And then the, the two game series with CU returns. We go to CU a year after that, we go to Texas. So 2024 we're in Texas, then we play CU at home. So like, Texas, and then the year after that, Texas Tech at home, Vanderbilt on the road, Wisconsin on the road the, in 2026 at Texas Tech, um, and then you got Arizona and uh, at Arizona the following two years after that. But a lot of this, the, the schedule is littered with some really fun opponents and really good places to go. And great college towns. That's, that's one of the things. Like I've heard uh, like Middle Tennessee State's on there. I heard, I mean, I heard that's a, Knoxville's a fun place to go. Like, obviously it's not Nashville, but I know we are going back to Nashville because that was a four game series. And these all just look like a lot of fun. Now I want to tell all the, all of our listeners, if you went to the, any of the Bama games, you talk about how much you loved it. Honestly, that's probably fourth on my list of, of, of fun game day atmosphere. I mean, obviously it's awesome, but Wisconsin and Nebraska are like one one A and one B, and Michigan was was number three. I mean, I love those, and, and CSU's going to, to two of those three places in the next five years. So for you CSU fans out there, I mean, make those plans to go. Uh, game day, game day at both those are just phenomenal. And I, you know, I'm looking forward to that Washington State game. I, I mean, I've heard nothing but positive things about Pullman. Well, you've heard positive things about Pullman. Yeah, like a, for, for, uh, for game day, like right. not, not living there, but <laughs> the, like the college atmosphere is is just like I've heard a lot of good things about it from from Pac-12 fans. Well, and you've got, you know, you look back at some of your favorite road trips. I mean, CSU football has given us the opportunity to visit, you know, cool experiences at Cal, USC. UCLA, you know, being in the Rose Bowl was awesome. Just playing yeah. and playing at, at, at other schools that you don't think about at the top of your list as far as uh, you know football meccas. But the Virginia game in 2002 was one of my favorites by far. Um, just uh, in, not just game day, but in, in the experience of the game and winning that game. But the, the city Charlottesville was such a cool city with lots of history, lots to do there. So I love this approach. I love the fact that that this staff and this uh, administration believes in going out and scheduling these kind of games because it's good for it's good for fans um, it's good for your program to be able to play those kind of those kind of teams and those programs and of course it's good for our school's pocketbook right now which we need but for fans most of all getting to go experience that I'm, I'm really excited about it. there were some years you know later sunny years that we just stopped doing that and uh, and just didn't make like I remember we tried to go pick a, our top one or two road trips a year and then there were a few years in there where it's like, well, where do we go? I mean, it's I guess it's going to be a conference game because it was all non, you know, power five schools that you know, we're playing in the non-conference. And just, uh, I love that we're back to this. It's uh, every year we've got somewhere cool to go. 
And again, you know, tip tip the cap to Joe Parker. Like he has really upgraded the schedule and 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 has has worked his connections that he has in in the, in the Big Twelve and in in the Big Ten to get these marquee opponents. You know, that's huge. Three straight in in the Big Ten with Iowa, Michigan, and in Wisconsin now, and then in the Big Twelve we got Texas Tech and Texas, and and that text that Tech series is a four game series, and then. I think we got another four game series with Arizona coming up in, in, in this decade. So, you know, you've got to give him credit. He gets, he gets blasted a lot. And, and obviously things aren't looking the greatest with the athletic department right now, but this is one of those things that he has gone above and beyond. Yeah. I can't wait for some of these games. So, and I especially can't wait for you to, to set up all the, the tailgating and, and uh, pre pregame plans for those. So, Lots more of that to come. A couple quick thoughts on Bobo uh, leaving South Carolina to go to Auburn. He'll be looking for another job in two years. I think. I don't think Harson made a, a very good call with that hire. I, I, I was surprised that Beamer was bringing him back, to be honest, at South Carolina, and then for him to go, you know, to have college kids literally vote against playing in a bowl game because they don't want to play for you, I mean, is telling especially after this investigation in, in CSU where almost everything was pointed towards him and his staff. You know, I, that in, in investigation kind of cleared up Adazio and, and, and the current coaches, and, but everything pointed so much on him. And then a year later, the South Carolina players are, are, are voting and telling the athletic director, no, we don't want to play for this guy. And for him to, I mean, just falling upwards again. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, kind of disheartening whenever you see that and then and then you have you know someone like like uh tony alford who's begging to be a head coach and he can't do it so i, don't, I mean again i i think it's a bad hire by harson and I, I, it'll show i mean it's not gonna keep him up with bama if that's what they're going for and if they're gonna fire a coach that won a national title who has had winning seasons every year and has knocked off Bama a few times to hire, to make this hired. It, it's to dip into the mountain West, uh, you know, and he, he, there was rumors that he was uh, not in the best of graces with Boise state. So it's, it, it's a, it's a strange hire, but uh, we'll see how it works out. And before we sign off here, Michael um, basketball team continues to roll on. Like you think, uh, you know, this, this sweep of UNLV, very battle-tested. I love how they're getting these, uh, these tight games and figuring out ways to win, especially as young as they are. Um, is this – now you get a couple very winnable games uh, at a neutral site, essentially, uh, in Phoenix, where they get to play San Jose State, who's not very good. Chance to, uh, to win two more games and hopefully get to the point where we get ranked. I know it doesn't mean anything, but, man, when's the last time CSU basketball has been ranked? 17 did we did we crack it in 17 i don't think so i i know 15 we were a good chunk of the year but yeah i mean that's five years it's a rarity <laughs> years yep you know four years at, at the least uh dude it's exciting it's exciting um you know we had we had coach on early sometimes i don't <laughs> oh time time is means nothing uh anymore but you know he talked and he talked about how they were changing and when we had Aaron I mean that was the day that we we spoke with Aaron was the first time he said that they had more than four players that were able to work out together 
And four days later, they were playing uh, CSU Pueblo. And I just hated our fans on, on the message board. Just, well, why aren't we blowing these guys out? Well, because CSU Pueblo has been practicing. They got some, they had some Division One transfers who went to Pueblo. And we had four practices. And then, again, a slow start against Northern Arizona. We didn't practice over the weekend. We played on Saturday. We're playing again on Monday. And then everyone, the, the St. Mary's game, we had lack of practice. But that St. Mary's game reminded me a lot of the CU game last year where we actually played fairly well. Yeah, we scored 33 points. We got beat by 20. But our defense was great. And we just missed shots. We missed so many open looks and, and bunnies. And, and we just – we miss shots. I mean, you think about it. You hit 10 of those misses. It's it's a tight game. 10 of those wide open looks that we normally make, and it's a wide open game. And then, I, But I think that was one of those games where they learned from it, and they, and they realized that, you know what, we, we got to keep doing what we're doing, but we got to knock these shots down, and, and you've seen a different team since. Right. And the fact is, I mean, this is a tough conference. I, we don't get national respect in recent years, and part of that's because – seem to fizzle in the tournament every year as a conference, but um, you know, but you look at day in, day out, there's, it's not, there, there are no gimmies. And uh, you look at San Diego state, you know, they had everybody uh, it's a battle every night. I mean, they, they were one got steamrolled by BYU. Who's pretty good. They had a loss to us. They just barely squeaked out their last two games to Nevada at home. So it's, it's a battle. Not every game is a blowout and it's actually kind of, good for us that way is is that we're in the trenches every every night that we play and these these it's what these guys need being tested down to the wire how do you how do you make that game winning shot or come up with that game winning stop um and that david roddy play at the end of towards the end of the the game where he had you know his one-on-one defense where he had stifled uh, uh bryce hamilton he got that block right as time expired and was getting ready to go on a, to go on a breakaway and they whistled you know, shot clock violation on him. But that was just, you see these guys and how they're progressing as the year goes by. <clears throat> and to think that we might have these guys for each of them for another three years, yeah. uh, four years for the sophomores. Right. So this year and plus uh, that's six, everyone's coming back. So yeah. uh, it's a lot, it's exciting to think about. So yeah, basketball is great. I'm looking forward to seeing how the rest of the season goes and see if they can make a run at, uh, at making the tourney. That would be something. But uh, yeah, I think, I mean, you, you, you go on, the, the depth of the, of the conferences has really changed over the last few years. Um, you know, we, we got some younger coaches that have come in that have, have, have really developed the programs. And so it's not just the uh, teams like Nevada, like Musselman, who was just loading up on, on Juco kids and, and New Mexico loading up on, on grad transfers and, and stuff like that that were getting the, the wins, but they weren't developed in the program. Now we got younger coaches. We got different coaches in that are doing that. And, and you're seeing a stronger conference. Uh, again, Wyoming is – that's that's a, a series that kind of makes me nervous. Um, even though there's no fans or there will be few fans, having to play both those games in, in, in Laramie, uh, you know, those, the, these tough games that they've just had, that's going to pay off when we have a series like that. So I'm looking forward to it. I think, I mean, Nico's doing a great job and be awesome if we could be there in person, but next year, right? Yep. I was hoping that uh, as we 
got later in the year there was an opportunity for them to open it up for some fans but it just doesn't look like that's going to happen so unfortunate but uh well great conversation today michael great interview i want to thank you and uh thank coach fairchild as well as all of our sponsors thanks everybody for listening please make sure you support our sponsor everybody have a great rest of your week and we will see you next week thanks and go rams go rams